I never told no one that My whole life I've been holding back Every time I load my gun up so I can shoot for the stars I hear a voice like, who do you think you are? Alright everybody, another day, another dollar, another episode of my favorite podcast Yes, I'm a little biased It's my own podcast, What If It Did Work? I'm honored to have a guest One that we're kindred spirits, we're both experts in franchising Kim Daly, she spent the last 20 years helping people achieve Financial freedom by enabling them to find the perfect franchise opportunities. Her skill for matching a client's background, interests, skills, finances, and life goals to the ideal opportunity has made her one of the top franchise consultants in the country. Today, we are here to gain insights into what can seem like a daunting process, deciding on the perfect franchise to enable you to gain financial freedom. How's it going, Kim? It's going great, Omar. Thank you for the intro. But yeah, no, I, I both 20 years franchise. I, I was, I used to swear by them, you know, on the fence right now. But so tell me what got you involved in franchising? The question, how did franchising find you? <laughs> how did it right. find me? Yeah, oh. No, that's the question we ask each other because it's not like anybody woke up and was like, oh yeah, I want to go, you know, own a franchise. It's sort of like there's some pain in your life and, you know, looking for options. I was actually super young. I was on my way to medical school. I answered a classified ad in the newspaper, show my age, for a franchise consulting company, not the one that I'm part of today, but it gave me my first foray into this amazing industry that I just fell in love with, right? It's an industry of people helping people every day, people waking up to live their own dreams. And I was hooked. So I did what everybody who thinks about owning a business does. I went and became an entrepreneur. Even with my knowledge of franchising, I did that for five years only to figure out, you know what? I need people like success is fun, but it's way more fun when it's with other people. I came back to my franchising roots when I was 29 and here I am a lifer 20 years. (laughs) Well, congratulations on longevity. So you were a franchise consultant. Your first foray into franchising? No, my first, the first company that I worked for today would be called franchise.com, but back in the day it was called Franchise Solutions. So we were the first aggregate like website at the dawn of the internet. We were the first company selling online advertising for franchisors to position their opportunity to potential candidates. So the franchise 500, what Entrepreneur Magazine loves to... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, well, good. So then that was then, what franchise did you jump into? So Franchise, which is, it's not, we're not a franchise in that I didn't pay fee to get in, but we are highly selective about who we allow in, but I'm a franchise consultant. That is my franchise. So for the last 20 years, I've been helping other people find their perfect franchise, coaching them to understand what's really important when you select a business. Because if you've done this before, Omar, you may know, like most people, when they think about a franchise, they think about what they know, like, oh, or they think about what they enjoy, like a passion and turning that into their business. But let me tell you, as one of America's top franchise consultants, those two methodologies have never proven to be the way to happily ever after as an investor. So my strategy is going to be to get people focused on the outcome. What do you want to use the business to create in your life personally, professionally, and financially, right? So especially financially. And then what are those 
personal quality of life goals. How do you define work-life balance? If I can bring you a franchise that affords you the money you want to make, that also provides you the time freedom that you're seeking, I can almost guarantee you, you're going to fall in love with a lot of companies that provide the other two. (laughs) But if we start at passion and you have to be passionate about it, or you have to know something about it in order to say yes, it's like a dead end road. What a small world. It's like, My ex-wife, who was my ex-business partner, after we got out of the franchise system out of 20 years, that's what she's currently doing. She's a franchise consultant. Fantastic. Fantastic. Couldn't tell you with what company or or whatnot. I do know she she does that and you know it help helps out other people because the two of us, we picked our franchise just based out of emotions. I based mine. Not not out of finances, not out of anything. I based mine. I went to school in Louisiana and Baton Rouge, went to school at LSU and Smoothie King. There was one in every corner. It was the time currently headquartered in New Orleans. And it was just one day, one day, one day. We we did a personal development seminar and we decided I was a financial advisor and she was a pharmaceutical sales rep. And that's how we decided to go. With that. Now, I would not recommend people if you love hamburgers, don't just don't jump in five guys. If you love subs, don't do the Jimmy John's. Just you can be a fan of a business. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to own the business. Such wise words. (laughs) That, That only took me about like 15 out of the 20 years to realize that, by the way. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, after five stores royalties. It was like one of those aha things, but I loved the product so much. I was such a raving fan. It it was a connection that I had. And I always tell people don't, don't base business decisions off of emotions. It's great. I mean, there's some emotion involved when you say yes to a franchise, you're not going to do this because it's purely the logical thing to do, but it, to your point, it's going to be mainly logic. And that's where I come in as your consultant to help guide you to those business that are going to logically create the outcome. So the business is just the vehicle driving your life to this new place, right? It's not the end all be all. It's not a hobby. It's not a passion. You will be passionate about it and the role that you play and what it affords you. But it's not like Kim loves to work out. I have to own the gym or Omar loves a smoothie. So we got to own the smoothie king. It may be that, but there may be a lot of other, other options that are lower investments or have bigger returns or have better quality of life or have more open territory for upside you know, scale where you live. And all of those things are going to prove to be way more important to you as you grow than your passion for the widget, right? Because if you hope to work on your business rather than in your business, what does it even matter what your business does, right? That's how that wealth really gets created is when you can leverage your time and scale, right? By using people, equipment, locations, territories, whatever that is to be able to scale your time and spread that out effectively, that's where the wealth is going to be created. Wealth is always created through scale. Well, you also have to have some passion. Wouldn't you agree? After a bad day, bad week, every business has it, the ebb and flow. You're going to have to enjoy the the product. You're going to have to enjoy the service because when you have to wake up in the morning or someone calls out one of your employees, I don't, I don't care how how big you scale, there, there's always going to be that, oh my gosh, 
going to have to jump in. You have to. My second foray was Supercuts just because I read uh, an article. I, it took me a while to realize that Entrepreneur Magazine, a pay to play, their top choices are based on ad spend. And <laughs> I it's never realized. System wide sales, which has no indication for happiness for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I don't, I never got my haircut at Supercuts. To me, it was always like the Walmart of, of haircuts. And there's no such thing as passing. That that was the number one thing touted by like the ads and on Entrepreneur Magazine. Couldn't cut hair. So inmates ran the asylum for the, the short time that I owned Supercuts. Right. It was like, oh, so I can't schedule an extra person? The manager, it's, and it's like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because I didn't go to cosmetology. I couldn't cut hair. And yeah, labor shortage on a lot of the trade schools. So clearly cutting hair is a highly a skill that's in high demand these days. There, there are some investors that are comfortable being like, if you've come from a corporate job where you've managed engineers or people who do a job that you don't know how to do, I think that skill set translates nicely to being passionate for managing people that know more about the job than you. But there's a lot of people, Omar, that would identify with what you just said. They're like, I don't want to feel like the inmates are running the asylum. So I need to be able to pitch in if I need to. But there are franchisors that'll say, we don't want you to pitch in. Like in the cleaning company, the day that you say, oh, well, somebody called in sick, I better go out and start cleaning houses. That's the day that your business starts to die. Because if you're working in it, you can't be working on it. So I do agree with you. There's no franchise business or really a business that's passive from the beginning. It's semi-absent. So semi-absent means you can be part-time, but you need a full-time manager. So it's a little more expensive because you've got to pay like an experienced hairstylist, maybe an experienced salon manager to be in there. But that's how you would do it successfully to where you could be more hands-on. There are a lot of other Supercuts franchise. I'm, I'm, I'm close to Supercuts. There's a lot of other Supercuts owners like that number one woman that owns like 95 stores out in the Midwest, right? She's obviously not uh, getting in, pitching in and giving a haircut. She's got way too many stores and probably managers upon managers upon managers. But that scale was built over time and with an intentional purpose to not be the one pitching in. But you know what? On the flip side of that, I placed a guy in Montana into Club Pilates and, you know, we were catching up and he's such a great guy. And he was like, yeah, he goes, you'll be happy to hear that I got my Pilates certification. I'm like, Ryan, I'm not happy to hear that. Like you didn't buy a club Pilates because you wanted to be a Pilates instructor. You bought it because you wanted to build income that you could, you know, that was you know secondary income to you. And so, but he's like, yeah, but to your point, Omar, it's fun to be able to know and pitch in and teach a class here and there. And I'm like, fun is okay, but that's not the goal. <laughs> Well, if you own a spinning franchise or if you own like a CrossFit box or an Anytime Fitness, you feel like you want to be a part of that. So I understand that that completely. That was one of my like plan B or plan C. Sometimes it's timing. I don't, I'm not throwing any shade at supercuts. It's all a timing. I opened up my two locations or I bought existing bought a falling knife, someone else's headache, business 101, never do that. Because I also bought three um, rights to open up 
new stores, new locations, took over late January of 2020. So I guess timing sometimes. (laughs) We know what happened in March 2020. Yeah, that's a tough, tough timing right there. Yeah, yeah. And that was a business, you know, because of the personal up close, you know, relationship that definitely took a hit for a long time. Yeah. Exactly. And Supercuts, you know, of all the franchisors I work with, again, no dig to Supercuts. They're a billion dollar brand. I mean, like, they've the got an incredibly strong track record. Yeah, they're 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 great. But they were sometimes those Titanics are harder to adapt. You know, I have young pioneering franchises that figured out in the hair space that figured out how to get back up and open and operating and profitable faster than some of those bigger Titanics. But, you know, there's an investment for there's an, a different franchisor for every investor. Sometimes those billion dollar companies are very safe for one type of an investor. And then for another type of an investor, they're super suffocating. They prefer that more entrepreneurial pioneering environment of a more startup franchise where there's enough proven track record to say, I'm not a guinea pig, but there's enough freedom to be able to come in and still make it your own and add to the system. Oh, I I, I know all about being a pioneer. Millie, my ex-wife and I, we were pioneers of Smoothie King for, for South Florida. And it's great when you're young because you have to do a lot of heavy lifting. You have to do all the marketing. You have to building the brand. There's really no brand awareness, brand recognition. So to me, it depends. If you want, and I love the product, so it was great, but two highly educated people, we both had had master's degrees. It was a lot of heavy lifting. There's no... I would say go somewhere in the middle where there's brand recognition, but there's not 20,000 locations either. Well, here's what I would say. If you came to me, you're especially hearing your wife had a sales background, I would have led you to a non-brick and mortar. So lower startup, very low fixed costs, higher margin service especially something that potentially was wrapped in reoccurring revenue. So that's the sweet spot that I've played in for 20 years. I mean, the vast majority of people who come to me, Omar, they're thinking food and retail because that's what everybody thinks franchising is until they meet Kim Daly. And then I'm like, nope. Like once you see what I'm going to show you, no one's picking food and retail, nobody. There's just no money in that compared to like, for example, a gentleman that I interviewed on my YouTube channel who came from JP Morgan and he turned his global leadership skills or sales skills or no leadership skills into his own business in restoration. And within four years had built a company doing $21 million in revenue, right? And he told me, I'm not stopping until I get to a hundred million. I mean, that's massive scale. So, but you're never going to make that kind of money in anything that has brick and mortar, four walls. You're going to need 95, hundred locations. And then exactly. some, the, the scale is just not there in some businesses like it is in others. So I, I once I sort of saw like, stepped back. I'm I'm fortunate enough in my role to meet all the franchisors out there and could really discern when you're standing on top of the, you know, kind of a global view, you're able to discern like, <laughs> okay, so that's kind of what's going on over there in brick and mortar. And look what's going over here in these sort of more service-oriented catering to businesses or catering to homeowners, Monday through Friday work week, you know, lower lower cost of entry, very minimal fixed costs. So you're not 
bleeding to keep your doors open when no one's coming in, you know, and like to your point of starting a business in 2020, lo and behold, these home services, whether they were essential or not going, you know, these are the ones that shot up because we were all home. You know, we weren't taking a vacation. We were putting our money into our home. We were, you know, building out spaces for home offices and school and building pools so our kids could have fun. And, you know, and you think about like the two company, the two industries that exploded in 2020, pools and puppies. (laughs) So in franchising, if you think of all of the businesses that support just those two explosive growths, right? So if you build a pool, number one, you need a fence. So that's a franchise. There's a couple of franchises in fencing. You might need outdoor lighting. So you can use your pool. You might need a patio. That's a franchise. You might need a pool cleaning company. That's a franchise. Maybe you want to fertilize your lawn now because you're looking at it. That's a franchise, right? Now, on the doggy side, on the puppy side, you get a new dog, you need the dog to be trained. Maybe, again, you need a fence. Maybe you need a company that comes and scoops the poop in your backyard every week. You know, you need to groom that dog. You need to buy dog food. All of those things are franchises. So there's a whole bunch of franchise opportunities that the average person who's thinking about a franchise doesn't think about because they are looking at Jersey Mike's and Chick-fil-A and the line out the door and thinking that's what franchising is. But then they come to Kim Daly and I'm like, hey, no way. Like you could go in hundred thousand. Look what they're making. Like, look at their earnings claim. Look at their quality of life. Monday through Friday, reoccurring revenue, like scale, you know, as you grow. So get one truck busy and then add another truck. So you're not plopping down a half a million dollars into one brick and mortar location and then hoping and praying that people come in so you can pay your bills. You know, you're tiptoeing in and scaling as you grow. And once I show people this, Omar, it just kind of sets them free. They just didn't know what they didn't know, but this is why franchisors pay me. So, where were you 22 years ago? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't get to meet you. But the thing is, in most people's defense, retail and food, hindsight's 2020. Millie, my ex wife, and I, we discussed it very recently, and it was like, should have always been in service oriented. We both highly educated, both sales oriented. But the thing is, back then, the internet was still dial up (laughs) (laughs) and the definition of franchising is you bought two things you you bought the entrepreneur magazine and then you bought their supplemental list which was like 90 percent of the franchises were retail and food establishments totally i was actually going to say that the industry has grown and changed in the 20 years that we've been involved. Like there are franchise companies today that have like, they do all of the marketing for their franchise. You'll pay them, but they do it. They spend your money for you. They get your phone to ring. And then they have national call centers to answer your phone that would replace the need for you to have an office and an admin person answering that phone. So these call center people are trained by the franchisor. I mean, who better to train to convert that call? And if you're selling something simple like junk removal or mosquito spraying, look, this isn't rocket science, right? If a live person answers and you got a good price and you're available, I'm probably saying yes. So some of these call centers can even integrate that new customer, take the credit card and integrate that customer right into your schedule. So as an owner, like all of that biz dev is being done for you by your franchise or partner. You may only be paying cost per lead instead of like back in the day to your point where it was like, well, here's our marketing plan, but like go have at it in your, you know, figure it out, get it to work, get your phone to ring, get an office, hire somebody to answer your phone. Good luck with the conversion. 
you know, I mean, franchising is so sophisticated. There are there are franchise action committees, advisory committees. There are inside companies. You know, there's best practices. There's field support people that will train you. There are franchisors that won't even let you fail. Like when you fall below like a certain threshold, they're going to have like a 10 point check system where you're going to have to do what they say. And if you don't, they're going to ask you to sell your business and they're going to take on that resale because they don't want you as a failure. So they're going to they're going to sell the business for you, allow you to exit gross, gracefully with a little bit of money because that leaves them without a failure on their books, right? And bringing in somebody who can take over what you've created and take it to the next level. So I mean, the sophistication that's come in the last 20 years, it's it's a lot. It's a lot better today than it was 20 years ago. Oh yeah, 20 years ago marketing consisted of going to the Flipper or going to any <laughs> any mailer, and if you get Val packs, Val pack yeah, yeah. sure. And I still read all that just because being in business for so long. And two, I want to know who's still doing that this day. <laughs> still getting a coupon in this. <laughs> exactly. While everybody, all my neighbors and all that, grab it and put it to the recyclable. And the opposite. I'm like studying. I'm like, okay, okay. Who who's still doing this antiquated form yeah no me one percent or or the second form was guerrilla marketing go out sample 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 and the third one was me in in my early 30s with a blow up inside a blow up costume smoothie inflatable cup because i didn't want my team members to get hurt and me getting tackled me getting kicked at schools me getting all that i'm like oh my gosh doing that or the the sign guy which was me again because i didn't want to have one of my team members go out there so whenever anybody ever said that i was an overnight success i was like well was it the spinning sign that or or was it me in a blow-up cup but yes something that you said that's just like wow because my frame of reference when it comes to french franchises when it comes to sales being above or below expectations when you're killing it when you're crushing it all your marketing everything they're like hey we're doing an amazing job aren't we it's like you doing an amazing job and it's the other way around when set your below average store a that auv like okay so what are you doing wrong and it's like so it can't be the location that you helped approve that you said this was an A-rated site. It can't be any outside thing. It can't be because you guys aren't planning on helping me out. Oh, it's all my fault. So they they love to take the glory. And then, you know, this probably not any franchises you deal with, but a lot, a lot of my experience was like, okay, so you, you have an ops consultant who getting paid 30 well inflation let's say he's getting paid forty thousand, and he's like spend 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 then i would always tell the ops consultant it's easier to spend someone else's money i can make you look like a million bucks if i'm like give me your credit card we're going out and we're going shopping 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the culture of a franchise varies. And and really, when I'm talking to people, that's kind of what you're talking about. And when we're when I'm getting to know somebody and trying to match opportunity to them, I'm literally I'm looking for you to find your people. So when you when you we start with the widget again, it's so limiting compared to widgets didn't keep your doors open in the pandemic or get them reopened. They're not keeping your business adapting to a recession or competition or the changing market. It's leadership that does that. So ultimately what you're really investing in in a franchise is people. You've got to buy into their vision for bringing this brand to market and look at their track record of success to feel confident that they're going to go where they say they're going to go and look at their funding to make sure that they're adequately funded and but you've got to buy into that culture. I want my candidates to find people that inspire them, that feel like, wow, I, I want to be mentored by these people. They have what I want. And, and that's further validated by talking to the family of franchisees, right? To see what kind of people are saying yes to this and what kind of result are they generating. But Omar, in, in my back-end coaching, I set people free from ever really relying on what anybody else is making in a franchise to decide for themselves if this is right by telling my own story. So I was eight years at Franchise, an average performing consultant, and then one year later became a history making consultant. So same process, same me, two very different outcomes. And when I stood in two different camps, it really like helped me kind of like last through those own limiting beliefs about why are we using what anybody else in a franchise is making to create our reality? Because here I am the same person and I created two very different realities. So what changed? Not like my skill set grew exponentially from one year to the next, right? What changed was my mindset. What changed was my focus going from focusing on being busy, to being productive to going on, you know, the things I can't control in my business to limiting myself to only focus on the things I really could control and maximizing what I could control, which helped me feel in control, which changed my attitude. And my attitude was really what changed everything. Because when my attitude became powerful and empowered and unstoppable, right? Because I was able to come to work every day, just maximizing what I could control and learning how to even control it further in my business, then who doesn't like to be in control, right? Then I was passionate and I was happy and that's infectious to other people. Who doesn't want to work with somebody who's like that, right? Who doesn't want to be in business with somebody who's like that? So that one thing that I decided to do, looking at my business in a whole new way and saying, where's the gas? What can I let go of? And what do I really need to focus on and simplify this? It made all the difference and I made history. And then I've spent the last 12 or 13 years just sort of mastering the art of what I did 12 or 13 years ago. And so I share that experience with all of my candidates so that it sets them free from worrying about, you know, well, no one's making the kind of money I want to make. I'm like, who cares? Go do it, you know, and here's how you're going to do it, you know, or using, you know, just any limiting belief they have to help them, you know, limit or create that outcome. Now we can be free because that's what we're really buying here. Franchising is a vehicle to freedom. It's not about the franchise. It's about the outcome. So I'm not really selling franchising. I'm selling freedom. We're just going to use franchise vehicle to get to that freedom. Freedom is happiness is key. Freedom is key. 
you got that right. I'll, and crazy thing is a lot of people, including me for 20 years, had it the opposite. And limiting beliefs is what traps all of us. That's that's what my book's about. That's what the show's about is the only reason why someone is not successful in sales, the only reason why someone is not successful in their franchise, in their business, in their marriage, in anything, are limiting beliefs. It's what holds us back. Our head, our mind, our thoughts can either be a prison or the gateway supercharged, turbocharge our way to complete happiness, bliss, success. You got it. Totally. And my job as a franchise consultant is to help people blast through those limiting beliefs because as you're venturing into something new, owning a business, you know, it you start at inspiration and very quickly the head trash kicks in, right? And especially when you start talking to other people about a franchise and they're not going through the same ex- experience that you're going through getting to know franchisors and looking at these toolboxes. They just know what they know, which could be limiting in and of itself. And so if you're using these outside advisors that are not part of the process, it's going to trip you up. You know, if you're if you're looking at your market and going, wow, fitness is so saturated. I can't open a fitness business like I don't want you worried about your competition. I want you to figure out how to make your competition worry about you. And once I show you how to build your daily, wink, wink, your daily activity plan by breaking down your annual goal into daily bite-sized goals, and you look at the number of customers that you need to make all the money that you want to make in that business, the number of customers that you need relative to the size of the market that you have to market to, the disparity is so big in every single franchise that when you look at it, you're like, oh, why am I worried about the competition, right? But it takes that paradigm shift. It takes someone like me mentoring your thought process to teach you how to think about it. Because when you're on your own, you just don't know. And so you lean to, oh, it's saturated. Oh, it's competitive. Or another one, Omar. What about that franchise disclosure document, right? Who who reads a franchise disclosure document and ever wants to become a franchise owner? Like, buddy. But like, once you work with me and I'm like, this is just the rules of the sandbox, right? There's so much more to the relationship than I call this whole process of exploring a franchise. It's like, it's like a dating process leading to a marriage proposal, right? When you work with me, it starts with a blind date and I'm going to be the dating coach. So this FDD, this franchise disclosure document is like the prenup. Well, it's like, why do we need to focus on a prenup until we're really leaning into a relationship? Because once you find your people, right, the leadership of a team, and you validate with their family of franchisees, and you're 80% bought in, when you go back and you read that FDD, you read it with an entirely different set of eyes. Because you've already met people who are happy living according to these these terms. But when you start out at the FDD, man, that's going to trip you up every single time. You're like, I'm putting in all the money and taking all the risks, but then they have all the rights. Like, why am I ever going to do this? Thank you, but no thank you. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's just an education process. Again, this is why franchisors pay me to help set those expectations, clear the mindset, remove the limiting beliefs. So people's minds are open, they're coachable, they're excited. And even at the very end, you get ready. Like just yesterday, I had somebody signing a franchise agreement yesterday, got the text message. I'm getting cold feet. Am I doing the right thing? You know, I said, you did the right thing. You reached out to me. We jumped on a call. 
And I'm like, you got to get that goals and dreams worksheet out that we started with. You've got to focus on your future, which if you stay doing what you're doing, you can't get to that future. If you focus on why it's not going to work, you're absolutely right. It's not going to work, right? Your focus is your future. So what are you going to choose today? She was like, oh my God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And she signed her franchise agreement later that day. So I get paid to help push people through these and to help people just sort of you know, not trip over all those limiting beliefs and the challenges that come up in this one to two month process. Well, the one thing that you discussed earlier was if somebody's worried about competition, competition is good. It means there's a demand for your product or service. You don't want to go into something where there's zero demand because the marketplace in the area says it's non-existence. That that's like me saying I want to open up a, a Michelin five star restaurant in Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, now, I've, I've never been to Paducah, Kentucky, but I'm <laughs> pretty certain it's not a hotbed for, for that. So why would you want to go there? You would want to go to a place, yes, you can out-hustle your competition. You can out-market your competition, over-promise, over-deliver. Competition's easy to beat up on. I, yeah had 20 years experience doing that, but somebody should never shy away and go, oh my gosh, there's another gym. Well, what separates you from that gym is they don't have you. They don't have you as the owner. They don't have you, the business, whichever that you selected, which clearly has its own marketing, its own niche. And that, that's like saying, well, Dunkin' and Starbucks, they exist just fine. Not 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 everybody. For both. <laughs> not not everybody's a, a Disney person. That's why Six Flags, another publicly traded corporation, competition is everywhere. Just pick something that I mean. Have faith. Have confidence in yourself. And yeah, one one hundred percent. And when you talk about the FTD, I trust you as a franchise consultant more than like going to a big franchise that has their own sales staff, they give you the FTD and they're like, oh, by the way, these are the, the five franchisees we want you to call. Clearly, of course, they're going to give you the, you know, the high flyers. They're not going to give you the guy that that's on the verge of closing or on the disgruntled franchise. They're like, no. There's a reason for that, Omar. There's a good reason for that. I, I support that. And if, if a franchisor didn't, if they just said, here's our list, have at it, I would encourage my candidate to ask for the top performers. So the way I look at it is, and again, this just comes from my own experience of going from average to top performing. So I knew what I, like knowing what I know now, my perspective from when I was average is so different. So the people at the top, the very best performers, they have what you want. They are the role models. So their opinions should matter the most. If you ask me, what does it take to be a top performing consultant? I will tell you with clarity exactly what you need to do. Now, when I know exactly what I need to do to be top performing, guess what? I know factually why people in my business will not be successful. So if you get to the people who aren't successful, they have their truth. 
because I had my truth when I was average performing. But now that I'm over here and I see things differently, I realize, well, that was my truth then, but it's not my truth today. So whenever you meet people in a franchise, they're on a journey and they're growing. And whatever they tell you today, that's just their truth at that moment. That same owner, you talk to them six months later, they have a different truth because they're learning and they're growing or they're not and they're failing. So getting to the people that are struggling, if you want to feed your fears, go for it. But if you want to feed your faith and find your future, you have to find the people that have mastered the model to where it is right now. Understanding that next year, it may be somebody new who's mastered it because Kim Daly appeared out of nowhere after eight years, right? So you, in every franchise, there can be a Kim Daly. There can be somebody who just makes up their mind sets a big goal, puts their head down and executes without excuse and builds something that nobody in that franchise ever believed was possible. And it can be anyone listening to this who decides to become a franchise owner. I will teach you how to do it with clarity. It's part of my free service. So then what you're saying is I should give you a call is and, and, and jump off in. Yeah, yeah. We, you have a lot of experience. I'm going to have to bust through a lot of those limiting beliefs that I totally get where they come from. I totally get they come from, you know, being in, you know, franchises maybe that were older that just aren't like up to par with the ones I'm, I'm working with today. But yeah, exactly. I mean, I tell people, look, when you come to me, there's no expectation this is going to be a yes. It can be a no. I just want you to be a decision maker. I'm going to guide your process. I'm going to teach you. You're going to stand up to your dreams. You're going to be honest with me. And in one to two months, it's going to be a yes. In one to two weeks, if you're going to say no, you're going to figure that out in one to two weeks. Oh, I. it's relationships. Sometimes the business changes. Sometimes the franchise changes. With, with my ex-wife and I, with Smoothie King, we were in with the founder. He sold to someone else and things changed. And we didn't change the way the company was going change. And we didn't see eye to eye. As you can tell, I'm a little vocal, I guess, writing a book or two books and and a podcast. And they didn't like the simple fact that we were highly opinionated. So believe it or not, and I love franchises and full disclosure with Smoothie King, people still randomly call me up and ask me and I. I sell. And here, this is something you don't know. My ex-wife and I, we got red tagged after after 20 years of owning a franchise. What's a red tag? I don't even know what that is. Red tag means our franchise, we were pulled. Within 60 days, we had to sell. Wow. I shocked you, right? Wow. Yeah. Even even though my book, my two books were infomercials on that, promoted them a lot on like stuff that I, I was right. Yeah. It was one of those things, but I still wow. believe in franchises. That's why I said, maybe I should give you a call, but I mean, oh, ultimately oh. they felt you were some threat in some way, or, you know, it is sad when private equity comes in and changes the culture. It's sort of like you miss the whole point of what you bought, right? If you invest money into a franchise only to disrupt the culture, then everything you just paid for as private equity has been disrupted, right? So franchising today, there's a lot of private equity money coming into franchising, which in most cases, Omar, is not the experience you had 
It's an experience where it lifts everybody. It creates more tools and greater money to build national exposure and, you know, better systems and stronger, you know, technology and things that are going to help improve the experience for the franchisee. But it takes a very careful integration of that private equity into the culture of the franchise. And I think that really the, the founder of the franchise has a responsibility to find a private equity company that's not going to disrupt that culture too much because how sad for all the people that have invested to then, you know, I think it is scary, but then to be relieved when they're like, oh no, this is going to be better, right? Oh yeah, yeah, no. Um, what happened was, look at this. A lot of people know. Uh, my ex-wife, when we got a divorce, we split up our stores and a franchisee, Golden Boy, who owned franchises throughout throughout the country, wanted to buy my ex-wife's stores and she decided not to sell. Well, he told her, you know, there's sharks in the system, there's sharks in the water. So what happened was he was boozing buddies with the CEO, the COO, and and that's how they they found something to have her fire sale it. And then with me, they kept on they they had an audit, but they're like, don't worry, your ex-wife, she's crazy. It's not going to happen. And I found a buyer in time because she's like, you're not going to survive. You're not going to survive. And he was trying to buy. And then I sold to someone at my gym and a normal price, but he kept on trying to, to get this, the sale null so he could go about. But these are all, you know, hindsight's 2020. And, and really, would you want to deal with people like this? Because at the end of the day, they said they had my back. And then when I did get, the, you know, been kicked out of the system 60 days. I'm like, what happened? You guys said we were family. I'm like, oh, uh, uh, they were trying to get me to sell to that guy at like pennies for the dollar. But no, I I, those I, are ex- that's I, an extreme story. I mean, I didn't even know what that term meant. It's not a story that's familiar to me in my 20 years and my experience, but it stinks when it happens. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't help the franchise industry in any way. I mean, I'm sure there's, they have their side of the story too, but yeah, those are. No, all all of them, all of them got fired recently for other reasons. And the guy lost his, his locations that, that he got from my ex-wife. So karma, but yeah, trust me, there are no saints. Everybody I tell the story to, including, I've invited all of them to to be on a podcast or whatnot. And like I said, no hard feelings because I was such a raving fan. When people call me up randomly because they know I was a Smoothie King guy, I I sell for them. If anything, they should still throw me a bone or a kickback. But yeah, after 20 years, my, my last day in the system, they never, you know, no, hey, thank you for growing the system. Nothing, nada. But like I said... I'm all ears after everything that you told me. This this is my my plug for you. You you told me something and a lot of things that I'm like, wow, I can't believe that's that's possible. That you know the service oriented franchises that's out there because to me it was still like, do I want to get back in where you know four hundred thousand dollars for a build out and it takes like seven years to break even. That makes zero sense. And that's zero. that's not just Smoothie King. That's a lot of retail establishments. Yeah, zero sense. Yeah, no. If, if I am bringing something that has brick and mortar, it usually is wrapped in a membership. So you have that opportunity to create that predictable, scalable revenue even before you're open. 
like a facial place wrapped in a membership or a nail bar, or there's a lot of self-care places today, like drip bars and, you know, infrared sauna places and things like that. Not just gyms have that membership component that allow you to create members and revenue before you're even open. And in many cases, depending on how good that pre-grand opening sales process is, franchisees may be opening at their break-even or even above their break-even or just slightly below it so that within that grand opening period of 90 days, they're at their operational break-even. So you're not carrying the store for you know a year you know before it's cash flowing positively. Those are not stories that those are the stories I try to avoid and try to lead people to those kind of easier places. But again, it just comes from education. And I have 20 years of experience and looking at all these different franchise models and seeing how it really goes down. And then, you know, interviewing hundreds of franchisees and creating hundreds of franchisees, you know, over 20 year period, probably thousands of franchisees I've created in, in this 20 years. And and, you know, them coming back and sharing their experiences and seeing which ones are really happy. And there's a commonality among those. So that's where I try to kind of like lead people to that, because I think in the end, even though it's not what the average person comes to me thinking it's going to look like in the end, I feel the most confident that when they get there, they're going to be very happy that they're there. Oh, I'm all ears because I'm used to, you know, you fly to headquarters wherever and they're like, yeah. Hey, you know, it's only going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to build out. Okay. So when's break, when's average store break even? And you're going to be bleeding out for one year because that's what Supercut says. They, they don't tell you that until after you sign, you know, you're there for training. And I'm like, excuse me. That's why I never opened the three organic stores because I'm like, nobody wants quote unquote a haircut. It's all fine and dandy. But it's horrible to hit break even. Even if you lose $100 a month, $200, which it's going to be a lot more than that, that's still painful. No, and that that's just like that, that, that's a gut check that a lot of people, when it comes to food, when it comes to retail, that, that slow bleed. It's, well, it's more of a gusher the first couple of months. And then, hey, we're finally at break even. It's like okay, <laughs> no, but but yeah, no, I I've had I had that mindset because old school. On hey, you know it's it is what it is. If you want to get back into franchising, well, do you want do you want coffee like a Cali coffee, or do you want this or you know, sir? Now that that you said yes, there's service oriented. There's home based business home-based franchises because before whenever you think of home-based it's like mlm or it's entrepreneur has that magazine too top businesses and it's not franchises it's just like hey let me have a bunch of stuff in my garage let me mail it out that was the old school approach so yeah that i would love and i never had that me, anything is a learning experience. I learned from that. But like what I said, when we first started, it's there 20 years. You've never heard me say it was a bad experience because clearly would have been a lifer. Even though I was disgruntled, the only thing that I was disgruntled at was the simple fact that we went from 100,000 for a build out to all of a sudden 500,000. Cost of goods were rising. 
discounting was at like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, if you breathe, because you know, the franchise was getting a kickback on. They're not the only ones. There's plenty that get kickbacks from 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 the from the dif- different distribution companies. And, and that was something to be said for what you're saying. So like I coach all of my candidates to build, to sell. And, and so I'm going to use like planet fitness because it very similar story to what you're experience, what you're sharing with me with smoothie King. So, you know, in the pioneering days, you could build your store for a lot less. Right. And then mm-hmm. the margins made more sense. And then the financial opportunity made sense. But as everything became more sophisticated, it's not necessarily increasing so the franchisor can make more money. Sometimes the franchisor takes on manufacturing or distribution so they can control that supply chain because that becomes the limiting factor to people being able to get the goods and services. That's what happened with Planet Fitness, right? They're selling all these clubs. Well, they needed to own the manufacturing of all of that equipment, not because it could be another revenue stream for them, which of course it's going to be, but more so they can control the supply chain so that they can get the equipment for these owners so we can get these clubs open. So I think you have to, it comes back to understanding the relationship and being okay with the franchisor making money. They're not making money at your expense. We need them to make money if we want them to keep growing our opportunity and improving it for us. But where the rift comes in is when they're making more money than, and the average franchisee is not. Now, Ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm all for accountability. If you're not making money in your franchise, it's not necessarily a franchisor's fault, right? Most ownership, most of the reason people are not successful in their franchise, it comes back to they're not doing. There's this pervasive myth in franchising. It's the silent killer in franchising that it is the franchisor's job to make me successful. I know people don't want to hear it, but it is not the franchisor's job to make you anything. You're paying them a fee to buy them a proven business plan from them, proven business plan, but it's your execution with the tools that they've created that will create the result. They need you to grow the brand not the other way around, right? So they need you. So they're breathing life into you and creating the tools, but it's what their franchisees do with those tools. Now they should be improving on those tools as they get feedback from you. So everybody is growing, but ownership has to be about owning it. And so a lot of franchisees want to own it when it is good, but they want to blame the franchisor when it's not. And I'm like, not in all cases, that is not, true. In most cases, it's not true. Even when a couple of, you know, franchisees are feeling negative and they start, you know, talking to other franchisees, creating a little subculture, you know, these guys owe us and we're, we're not getting what we were due. And most of the time when you really break through that, it's horrible leadership by the franchisor, which is something they could do something about, but it's also a false expectation by those franchise owners of what they said yes to. And this is really where I spent 20 years and why franchisors bring me in to be keynotes at their, at their conventions, because they know that I'm going to share this sort of hard truth with their franchisees that nobody owes you anything in this equation. And if you do believe they owe you something, then you should get out, put a for sale sign on your business and exit. Because this is about, you said yes to wanting to own your financial future and own a business, and that's what you have, an opportunity to create something limited, 
no matter how limited you feel. The reality is if you go out there and make history, no franchisor is going to limit you for that. They, no, they're I, looking for people to do it. No, 100%. Joe Bob, Joe Schmo, Joe Smith, it. whomever, purchase. The reason why you go into franchising, it's a proven model. You're paying for systems. You're paying for a brand, a name. You're renting. In cases, yes. Mm-hmm. For 10 years or whatnot. But it's mainly the system. It's the cookie cutter. You get the cookbook. Yeah, the partnership and you and you know, maybe a co-op when it comes to marketing, advertising, if there's enough stores, national marketing, they're hoping they throw something in there. But yeah, no, I I will never tell anybody that you go into business and they're out there that's in their best interest. Is is that if that was the case, there'd be zero closures. There's no such thing as a bad franchise, but there are bad franchisees. You see? Yeah. But you know what? Going back to what you said about the how the culture changed, that can make the franchise oh the franchisor not like the best partner that you signed up for. And those are reasons, you know, to exit. And I tell people, look, before your ship is sinking, if you become disgruntled sell, move on. Everybody wants you to move on. That's the beautiful thing here. It's yours to create, but it's also yours to sell. If things change and you're unhappy, don't be miserable. Sell the business, take some money, go out and start something else, right? Like if you're going to be, if you're going to make the commitment to becoming a business owner, because you understand that that is really the only way to be financially free, to own cash flow and create tax advantage and build equity, then the reality is you're probably going to own multiple businesses over the course of your life. Of so let this first business just be the first one. Let it be the first of many. Maybe you have a portfolio. Maybe you build it, sell it, take your experiences and move on to something else. Maybe you build it, put a manager in place, keep it going, collect, you know, manage, oversee it, but move on to another business. But don't feel limited or stuck because you're unhappy in a situation. Put a for sale sign on your business and find something new to do. Keep it fresh. Keep yourself growing. If things start to go negative, your mind is going negative every day. Your business is not going to go anywhere good anyway. So do everybody a favor, including yourself, and just find a different path. Well, it's all about exit strategy. Most businesses and not just franchises, mom and pops, none of, nobody has an exit strategy. That's the first thing that you should have. And if you don't have one, maybe now's the time. And to plug myself, the Vacation CEO, the book, that's one of the things I discussed, is an exit strategy. And this is the time to promote you. And I'm not lying. After we end this call, I'll get your information and have a new client. Now, how do we find you? on every avenue, social media, you know, so many people, when it comes to franchising, they're completely lost because yes, they believe it's the Jimmy John's. They believe it's the planet smoothie, the tropical smoothie, like that one one with the competitor. Go go with the fantastic Sam's, go with uh, other franchises and they don't realize that, and it's more than the 500. That's Way just, more than the 500. Yes, but you see, because I thought it's just the, the top five, which is all ad, ad spend, which are all retail establishments and eating establishments. So 
plug away, promote away. That's awesome, Omar. Thank you so much. So the best thing to do if you want more information about Kim Daly and how I can help you is to go to my YouTube channel at Kim Daly, D-A-L-Y dot TV. I have over 500 videos on franchising, business ownership, pros and cons of franchising versus entrepreneurship, interviews with top franchisors and top franchisees, so much information and putting out new information every week. Of course, from there, you can link to my website, all of my emails and contact forms. So please watch a couple of videos, you know, dispel those myths in your head. If you're worried about paying franchisors fees or how do you know, what is this FDD you speak of, Kim? All of that and more is on my YouTube channel. And then from there, when or if you're ready to reach out to me, you can absolutely figure out how to do that very easily. And I will follow up with you within usually within 24 hours. Awesomeness. And finally, what words would you tell someone that's on the fence? They're fearful. I can't open up a business, a franchise. The only people that make money are franchises. By the way, these are all stories I heard 20 years ago. You just bought yourself a job. Come on. Words of wisdom would you tell someone? So Omar, what I would say to you is the only way to really understand the true value proposition of franchising today is to go through the process of exploring a franchise with an experienced franchise consultant, someone who has relationships so she knows the best of the best franchisors who can build that model and match the right opportunities to you so you'll know you're looking at the right franchises for your goals interest and financial capability. So the only way to really know what a franchise can afford you is to be willing to invest some time going down the path. But through my process, as I said before, it's about one to two months to a yes. It's about one to two weeks to a no. And that's just 20 years of knowing exactly how to set it up for you. So if you're going to fall out, it's going to become very apparent to you that this is not the right time or not the right investment for you very quickly. But if we make it beyond that two-week period in my process, the vast majority of people I invest time with go on to say yes about one to two months later. Awesomeness. Thank you for your time. Now, don't hang up because a lot of people hang up right right off the bat on a Zoom because I am serious. But thank you for your time. Thank you for letting my audience know about franchising and your story just on Even if someone's not wanting to start their own business, you discuss something. You discuss limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs is what separates us from living on in that intercoastal, driving the Lamborghini, whatever it is that your heart desires. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Just imagine what if it did work.